and welcome to episode two of one of the Where to Ski podcast with me, your host, John Morgan. Thank you for joining. Today, we're heading to Japan. Grab your skis and let's dive into the world of skiing in Niseko. My guest today lives and works on mountains all over the world. Kim Reichelm knows skiing. First as a member of the U.S. ski team, as an NCAA All-American for the University of Colorado, as a professional ski racer, and as a two-time World Extreme Skiing Champion. She was named by Skiing Magazine as one of the most influential skiers of all time. Niseko is a hidden gem located in the northern part of Japan's main island, Hokkaido. It's known for epic snow, unbelievable landscapes, and a ski culture unrivaled in the U.S. and Europe. No matter your skill level, Niseko's got something to offer. Located in Hokkaido Prefecture, two and a half hour drive from Chitose Airport and the city of Sapporo, areas comprised of four interlinked ski resorts averaging around 15 meters of snow each season. Yep, that's 15 meters. Niseko's famous for its wide-open powder bowls, tree runs, and stunning views of Mount Yotai. Kim, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk Niseko. Japan, one of my favorite subjects. I know it is. I know it is. I'm excited to talk to you about it. When did you start going to Japan? How did you get so hooked on it? Um, Japan had started being a, a hot spot probably 15 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, and I had been, you know, hearing a lot of stories about the amount of snow and the quality of skiing and the experience. And I'm always looking for new places to take my guests. And but I never take clients any place that I haven't already been. So I had an opportunity to go on a trip in 2013 with some friends and went uh, to Niseko and on that trip just got to do some research and check out different hotels and learn my way around and interviewed a bunch of different guides and you know sort of got my 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 bearings basically on the area um, at the same time did a lot of research in other locations and other options besides Niseko and um, the following season I just put it out there to some of my return guests, people that I knew well that would understand that it was my first year and that I was still sort of feeling my way through it. And since then, it's just been, you know, I do sometimes two or three groups in January and February, and it's just always been a really positive experience for everyone. Well, and it sounds from everything I see that you post and you put online and do other things with that the powder is just amazing. It's like, it sounds like it's one of your favorite places to go. It's insane. I mean, it's just the amount of snow. It just never stops snowing. You rarely see the sun. Um, I sometimes have people go, oh, well, we'd like to go heli skiing. I'm like, yeah, no. Heli skiing in Japan does not happen. You need, <laughs> so you need this sunshine is all... and clear skies for heli skiing. But you don't need a helicopter because finding untracked snow is is really easy to do. You have to work for it a little bit, as you do anywhere. But um, it's it's spectacular. And, and Naseko really allows you to get off the beaten path easily and side country gates throughout the mountain make for you know access to to untracked powder pretty easy so getting there is it's not like uh, jumping on a plane from the east coast and going to uh, denver or salt lake it, it's a commitment it is a commitment and you, you know all good things take effort and it certainly is worth it but you know you fly from wherever to Tokyo. So you got to get yourself to Tokyo. It's easiest from LA, but there are other locations. Dallas, Denver has direct flights. And then from Tokyo, you need to take another flight to Sapporo. So I go to the Northern Island, Hokkaido, 
the research that I've done and the experiences that I've had, it's colder up north and the snow is colder and drier and you don't get the the warmer temps and the moisture that you get down in Honshu, the lower island. So, and from Sapporo, it's about what, a two hour drive if you drive it? Yes, it's two hours from the airport to Harafu, which is the town I like to go to in the Niseko area. So you're talking about where you stay there. It looks from what I've seen, and I it's been a long time since I've been anywhere near Sapporo. I've skied around there, but not at Nikesco. It looks like it's really four areas on the same mountain. So you can sort of choose where you want to ski. You stay centrally, and you can choose where you want to ski and go up. Absolutely. So uh, Anapuri is the name of the volcano. And there's five different resorts around the base of the volcano. And so you're, it's all called Naseko United. So people say, oh, I'm going to Naseko, but it could mean any one of the five villages. The, the one village that I like to go to, which is really has a lot more options for dining, bars, the food is absolutely incredible. There's lots of um, retail stores for renting equipment. And there's a lot available in Harafu. So Harafu is where I like to go because you're not secluded into one hotel and just sort of isolated in that one hotel. There's a lot of options. And from Harafu, you have uh, easy access to the entire volcano and can go in any direction you want to. Now you said something that sort of piqued my interest, equipment. What equipment would you use for this? Is this the same equipment you'd use like skiing powder out west or is this something that you should just read over there? Well, you can do um, either as far as your equipment. You know, I feel like I'm not going to travel a long ways from home without my own ski. So just would never would be willing to take that risk. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes it's a little bit of a red flag when people say, well, I don't want to bring my skis. I'm like, well, that means you might not be that serious about the adventure we're about to go on. Because for me, I would never risk not having my own equipment and be 100% sure that I'm on equipment that I enjoy skiing on. Because there's so much snow, I recommend everybody ski on a ski that's over 100 millimeters underfoot. So something between 112 and 115 is a, a, a great ski to have every single day, and you really don't need anything else. That's very helpful. I agree with you. I'm bringing your own equipment. I would never go anywhere. I carry skis all over the world still, and it breaks my back, but it's worth it. Let's get on the mountain. There's a lot of skiing there. What would be a great day for an expert-type skier to go on their own and ski or even with a guide? I would assume you need a guide in a lot of situations. Well, I always recommend a guide. I just think that, especially, again, you've spent a lot of money, you've traveled a long way. Why waste your time not knowing where to go, where to be, what time of day? Um, there's a tremendous amount of side country in the area. So, you know, you need to know what gates are open, what time they're open. You look at the weather every morning. You look at the wind, how much snow we got the night before. Um, you take in a lot of factors when you start your day. And if you don't want to guide the entire time you're there, at least hire a guide for the first two or three days and learn your way around the mountain. So then you're, you, you have a good feel for, for the kind of skiing that you want to do and how to get to those places. For me personally, I don't go anywhere without a guide. You know, I hire a local in Naseko. He has his finger on the pulse of the resort. He's been skiing there all season. He's been there for 15 years. He knows everything there is to know. And with two of us, it allows me to focus on the experience of my guests. 
and I depend on him to guide us and take care of us. And then when you do have deep snow and people take a fall, if you have a lead guide and a tail guide, that tail guide is able to help you if you fall or, you know, have a situation where you're wallowing around in the snow. I don't want people to waste energy trying to get out of deep snow and I can swoop in and pack out a spot and reach down and pull them up and get them back on their feet quickly without um, feeling like they're, they've been left behind and nobody's going to ever find them buried in snow over their head. And that's, that's actually a good point. I, I use guides a lot too, because every mountain skis differently. You go to a new mountain and you don't know where to ski first thing in the morning, depending on what the snow's doing and where it's been skied heavy, where it hasn't. And then, especially in Europe, for example, mountains ski like according to the sun a lot and you have to move around. I guess in Kesko, you don't worry about the sun so much. But No, you don't have a lot of sun, but there is one area that um, that does face more south. And if there is any sun at all that might peak for a moment or two through the clouds, it, it heats quickly. And because it heats whenever it warms slightly, that snow is going to be more firm underneath because there's more melting and more moisture underneath. So, you know, definitely you look at a map and go, oh, this looks really great. Let's go over here. But you don't know what it was like three days ago or what kind of conditions we had prior. And again, that's where a guide comes in. It just makes the decision making better. Or, you know, you get up to the top of one lift and you have the option to go two or three different ways. And that guide knows, oh, there's a really big line on this lift. Let's let's traverse over and grab this other lifter. It's dumping and cold and windy. Let's jump on the gondola for our first run and make sure we stay warm and dry before we get going. So, you know, we can heat our bodies up and get loosened up without freezing on the chairlift before we've made a run. So for an expert though, which part, where would you start? Where do you start for a high level group? What's your favorite starting point? Um, you know, I have been staying in the same place for quite a while. Um, it's called the Val. It's run by a hotel chain called Nasade. It's ski in, ski out right at the base of town. So we roll out the door before the lifts open. We only buy our tickets each day because you just don't know what's going to be open, what isn't, um, what po portions of the mountain. In, in the Naseko United, you don't have to buy a lift ticket for the entire place. You can buy a lift ticket for just a portion of the mountain. So we make a decision in the morning where we were going to ski, we buy our lift tickets, and we get in line before the lift opens. Um, from there, it's about three lift rides to get up to the top of the mountain. And, you know, it's all good, John. It's just, there's just endless amounts of snow. I mean, last year it snowed a foot to two feet every 24 hours. Just, do you get you know, in any situations where it's just snowing so much you can't go out at all and they have to do avalanche controls, things like that? Sometimes. Well, the resort is always open. I've never had you know, the only thing that closes the resort is not the amount of snow, but wind. So you do have wind holds if the wind is blowing really hard. Um, you know, it's not. And this is one of the things I really like about um, skiing in this area. Is it's not super steep. You know, if you're looking for a really steep, radical ski experience, that's it's not Japan, or at least in the Northern Island. I do know in the Alps down south that you get some some bigger mountains. But with that, you get some more avalanche danger. Um, Niseko, you just don't have huge avalanche danger because a lot of the terrain is not steeper than 35 degrees. That's not that steep. No, no, no it's not. 
And it's great from a guiding standpoint, it makes it lovely because I'm not always worried all the time. I don't have to have this huge safety pr protocol that we have in places like Alaska and Chile and some of the steeper terrain, or even in the United States where it's dry in the middle of the country, interior BC, Utah, Colorado, the snow is so dry in that area in our country, you know, avalanches are prevalent. The snow layers don't bond. Where in Japan, because there's such a high moisture content in the snow, you're only skiing the reset. So the snow comes in, the cold air from the Arctic sucks the moisture out of the snow layers and bonds those layers. So you're really, the powder you're skiing is only the snow that you've received in the last 24 hours. That's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, you dig a pit and you get down to, to the last 24 hours of snow and you're hitting a hard surface. You're, you're, it's, it's firm and really, really set up. And it's great from a safety standpoint because you, you don't have to worry about those layers shearing and causing big avalanches. You know, we've been talking about more of the expert skiers, people that can handle two feet of powder at a time, even though it's not so steep. That's still, you know, two feet of powder is two feet of powder. You need some skill to do that. What if you're an intermediate or just part of the part of your party is just getting started? How's that work out over there? Well, honestly, for me, I don't take intermediate skiers to Japan. Um, I just recently had a couple contact me that wanted to go to Japan and we started talking about their ability. And I was just like, you know, it's this isn't a place to learn how to ski powder. Let's let's go to Aspen and ski the resort a couple days and maybe snowcat ski a couple days and work on your skills so that you're proficient skiing powder. So when we do go to Japan, you can enjoy it. To me, it just seems like a long way to go if you can't enjoy what it's designed to do and that ski powder. That being said, they do some grooming. There's plenty of skiing off the lifts. And they oh, there's always something to ski that's that's doable, um, but just not it's not what you go to Japan for. So my recommendation is learn how to ski powder before you travel to Japan. You'll have a lot more fun. Yes, you will. <laughs> you go over there, what, January, February. Is that the best time to go? Are there things like festivals you need to avoid where it gets really crowded up there? The Chinese New Year is the one time of year that you try to avoid, and that changes every year. So you have to look at your calendar and figure out when the Chinese New Year is. Other than that, you know, it's getting busier and busier every year. And one more reason to have a guide who knows where to be, when to be there, when the queues get long, and how to avoid those queues. And it's not so bad. You know, there's a lot of people around, but there's not very many people that are going where I'm going. So uh, it's pretty easy for me to to get away from the crowds and, and get out and experience. And that's another reason why I like to take more advanced skiers, because, you know, the topography of the volcano requires some some side stepping, stepping and traversing. So you might go out a gate and then now you're in a side country situation. And the farther you traverse away from the chairlifts, the fewer tracks there are. Certainly the snowboarders can't go anywhere near where the skiers can go because of our ability to maneuver. And, um, you know, you're just, you're just constantly looking for those fresh tracks. You know, if you get up in the morning and we got a foot and a half of snow, of course, your first couple runs are close to the lift. You get back on the lift and go out and go a little bit farther and a little bit farther each run as far as you need to go to get fresh tracks. That sounds pretty cool. That's, you've been talking about staying um, in the town. 
and about the food. Maybe you can elaborate on that because it's not the same as what we see in um, the U.S. I know that. Oh, my. I mean, the food like right from your your lunch spots on the ski resort is amazing. Like it's fresh made ramen and curry and everything's made to order and it's just delicious. And I think the Japanese um, really put a lot of uh, pride into their, their food and preparing their food and serving it. And so you really, it's much, much different than, you know, a, a ski resort cafeteria. You're, you're eating some very high quality food on the mountain and then in town, in Harafu, it's just endless. I mean, you can you can definitely spend some money. There are places that just do the most amazing food you've ever had in your life, but you're going to pay for it. They're not only, um, you know, known for sushi and fresh fish, but also the Kobe and Wagyu beef is phenomenal. They do these wonderful things called shabu shabu, where they slice these prime pieces of meat and very thin layers and then you gently stroke your meat through the broth and cook <laughs> it yourself and there's fresh vegetables and I mean everything Hokkaido the island of Hokkaido is known for its produce it's probably one of the biggest producers of fresh produce in all of Japan and uh just everything is is just phenomenal and I don't know how they they're able to keep those produce so fresh throughout the winter, but everything you eat is just bursting with flavor. And again, they really put a lot of pride into what they're making. Eating is an experience. Everywhere you go, everything is is just presented incredibly well. And, and there's smaller plates of food. And it's just, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I look as forward to, to the food in Hokkaido as much as I do the skiing. <laughs> the other funny. thing about Harafu is that most of the restaurants are very small. They're tiny little old houses with very small seating. So you do have to plan ahead. You have to make reservations months in advance. They usually do two seatings, one at 6.30 and one at 8 or 8.30. So you, you can't just roll in and, and get into a lot of these restaurants. You have to plan ahead. Let's spend a minute on your uh, philosophy about skiing. You've hit it a little bit, but, and you hit some before we actually started recording this, but the philosophy that you used on skiing and instruction has really served you well with Ski with Kim. Well, I think that um, more than anything, and when I started my business about 35 years ago, um, I started as a women's only program. And my goal was to make skiing more fun for women. There were so many women that weren't loving the sport because they were intimidated. They were afraid of getting hurt. They didn't like being cold. They didn't want to drive. It was all these hurdles that was keeping them from really enjoying what's so wonderful about it. And my goal was just to eliminate all those hassles, make it so easy and such a pleasurable experience that once you're on snow, you're, you're able to appreciate the great part about skiing. And then, you know, just building confidence, teaching people about being in the proper equipment, making sure that their boots fit properly, making sure they're on the right pair of skis for their ability. Um, so that's a big part of, of what I do with all my trips. And I don't often take people on a big trip like Japan or Alaska or Chile that I haven't skied with in the past because I want to make sure that they are dialed. And they they understand my philosophy. I'm not 
about how many runs we make. You know, people shows, show up with an altimeter and want to start keeping track of their vertical. I'm like, put that watch away. This is about how much fun we're having. This is about quality over quantity. Let's just take our time and enjoy the whole experience. And that might mean having a beautiful lunch in a mountain chalet and drinking Louvain or, you know, sake or, you know, just experiencing the whole mountain and everything that skiing has to offer. And it's more than just sliding down the mountain. You know, one of my goals with my my trips is, you know, searching out those really cool places, the little nooks and crannies that are off the beaten path, the the onsen that's a little bit of a trek off the back of the mountain that's that is that's a private bath. An onsen is a natural hot spring, which is very prevalent in Japan. They're all over the place in Hokkaido, and many of them are located within skiing distance or maybe a little bit of a tour to get to some of these places. And that experience alone is just amazing. These these beautiful hot springs called onsens, um, they're very sacred to the Japanese. You actually, the bathhouses are separate. The men and women are completely separate. And uh, you're given a towel and you go in and you're required to scrub your body from head to toe and cleanse yourself completely before you enter into the water. But just a so many things about not just Japan, but skiing in general that, that make the experience experiential, I guess, for for lack of better words. There's just there's more to it. And I really like offering even sometimes I find places that guides don't know of. And I'm like, hey, have you guys been to Blow Blow? And they're like, what? Where's Blow Blow? And I'm like, it's this little shack back in the alley that I came across when I was touring through the town. And all of a sudden you go in this place and it's the coolest bar you've ever been to. And authentic and the bartenders barely speak any English. And it's it's just, you know, there's a lot of really cool little nooks and crannies like that. And those are the places I seek out. My goal with my trips is to create an experience that you could not possibly get on your own. That sounds awesome. How do people find out more about Ski with Kim? Well, skiwithkim.com is a, a great place to start. And then, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I have pretty good search engine results out there. So there's a lot of articles that have been written about myself and the trips that I go on and the things that I do and my philosophy on guiding and teaching. And I'm pretty easy to find. And, and, you know, I'm, my address is Kim at skiwithkim.com. Well, Kimmy, it is so good to catch up with you and hear about Japan. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to us Great about to this. Thank you, John. And thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. I think what you're doing is fabulous because you're right. People ask all the time, where should I go? And sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit like ask Kim more than I am a ski guide. And I'm always happy <laughs> to help people and give advice and, and share my knowledge with, with the places that I've gone because I just want people to ski and have fun. That's the whole idea. And it's, Skiing, having fun, and it's the people you meet along the way, too. Absolutely. You might find Kim anywhere in the world skiing. She uh, spends a lot of time in Aspen. When she's not skiing, you might find her fishing or you might find her down in Baja. If you do ski with Kim, you're going to have a hell of an experience. If you like our podcast, please share them and listen to perspectives in others, like other areas like St. Anton, Palisades Tahoe, Jackson, Sugarbush, Portillo, the Dolomites, and others. Thanks for joining.